And let's read the first two verses, New American Standard Bible. Peter, he just tells you up front who's writing this. An apostle of Jesus Christ writing this letter to those who reside as aliens. And we're not talking about somebody out of a UFO, but somebody who's temporarily temporarily living someplace that's not his home or her home or her home. Scattered throughout regions of modern Turkey. We'll talk about that more in a minute. Who are chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father by the sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit to obey Jesus Christ in faith and be sprinkled with his blood. May grace and peace be yours in fullest measure. Now, if you've been around here very long, you've probably heard me tongue-in-cheek in the middle of a message look at somebody, an individual, it could be Pam or it could be Meg, and I'll say something like, you know what, Meg, you are really special, you're unique and you're wonderful, but what do I say? So is everybody else, so try to get over it, otherwise you'll be very selfish. And uh, I say that tongue-in-cheek for whatever contextually makes sense at the time. But really, this morning, I could say that as I start our thoughts about apostles today. Okay, You are unique and special. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you've had like 34 things happen to you at the moment of salvation. Dr. Chaffer at Dallas Seminary analyzed all that. And one of those is you've been made a saint, and you've been given a mission. And Sue's uh, ultimate mission is to live the gospel and share the gospel and revel in the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's your mission. Lentil, that's your mission too. General, that's your general mission. Uh, and so in that sense, we've been sent out with a mission. And that's all apostle means. Somebody who's sent out with a mission. Okay, Bailey? Everyone who's been sent out with a mission is an apostle. But we're going to call those lowercase a apostles because we've got apostles. Whoop, yeah, those guys there. And those are not photographs. Those are artist representations of the 12 apostles, and those guys are capital A apostles. So today, and amongst other things, we're going to emphasize why every Christian, every born-again believer in this room today is an apostle, lowercase a, little a at the front of the apostle. But no Christian since John the apostle, the last of the apostles to die, no Christian since John is an uppercase, a capital letter A apostle. And what does all that mean? To the church. We'll think about that. But uh, let's pray that God will, uh, the Holy Spirit will illumine us as we look at his word this morning and that we'll be teachable to God's word this morning. And also let's pray as is our custom for our firefighters and our peace officers and our active military. Okay. And uh, Zane, if you would, uh, Zane Britton, uh, pray for us in that direction. Okay. If somebody said, what, a picture is worth a thousand words, well, I had a student from Cameron write, uh, or I guess email this to me recently, and uh, you, know, you got that baby alligator on top of the mommy alligator, and I thought, you know, that's a beautiful illustration of a very important principle for Christians, especially on Sunday mornings and Wednesday evenings, because it doesn't really matter where you sit. You still have to think hard if you want to learn them. That's right. You've got to think hard, right? And to warm up your capacity for abstract thought, here's a couple of uh, abstract thought warmer-uppers, okay? got a brother, big brother, little brother, and uh, the one says, I don't know all Ten Commandments. The only ones I remember are settle down, 
Act your age and take that out of your mouth. <laughs> then we've got uh, some executive at his office thinking about uh, future themes for their office culture. And he says, bring your child to work day. Have you heard of that? Yeah, bring your child to work day was a success. So I'd like to try another special theme. Leave your bad attitude at home day. And then hold your applause. This will be the last one of these. Uh, this is the dog talking to the to the man. Cheer up. Your life isn't meaningless. God put you on this earth for a purpose. Now, I'm going to argue that biblically, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you've been given a task. You are to live the gospel, share the gospel, and revel in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And the gospel is the good news that... Uh, because Christ died for our sins, we don't have to die in our sins. That's the essence of the gospel. But anyway, uh, the dog says, cheer up, your life isn't meaningless. God's put you on this earth for purpose. And he's not going to say, uh, you know, live the gospel, share the gospel, revel in the gospel. He's going to say, your purpose is to buy dog food and clean up after me. So that's, a, that's the, the purpose of that guy. Now last week we introduced the book of First Peter. And we said, basically, Peter has two parts. Uh, we kind of have Christian living under fire. 101 and 102, and we're going to see, beginning next week, a summary of what Christian faith is all about and a survey of the kind of Christian works that ought to be manifested out of our faith, and then we're going to see the principles of submission in the Christian life to human authorities under God's authority and also suffering in the Christian life. But in the, in the middle of those two major parts of the book, we have the purpose statement for the book. It's right in the middle of the book. Chapter 2, 11, and 12, this is his purpose for writing the book. And Matthew read the message, paraphrased version of that, which I thought brought out some nice nuances. But here's my attempt to kind of translate, uh, paraphrase it myself. As spiritual aliens, and we're going to say it's a very important word, par epidemo, somebody who lives somewhere temporarily that's not their home and their allegiance is much bigger than where to the jurisdiction in which they live. As spiritual aliens and short-timers on earth, even if you live to be 108, that's a short period of time compared to eternity. Christians should not be controlled by our emotions and feelings. Those should be appreciators, not initiators. But we should consistently live our faith centered on our Lord Jesus Christ so that unbelievers at middle school or high school or Cameron University or Halliburton or uh, Ace Hardware or up on top of a wind turbine 300 feet, foot up in the air like David does all day long. So that unbelievers who slander us just because we're Christians, they've heard bad things about Christians or they've had a bad experience with Christians, who slander us just because we're believers, will see the reality of Christ in our lives and ultimately glorify God by coming to Him in faith. Let's read verses 1 and 2 again. I want to focus on a couple of really key things this morning. Peter, an apostle... And my translation doesn't have it a capital A, but they don't use it as a technical term like I do. I'm going to make Peter a capital A apostle. It's only a handful of those. They were foundational, first generation of the church of Jesus Christ. The rest of us are lowercase apostles if we're believers. Peter, a capital A apostle of Jesus Christ, writing this letter to those who reside as aliens, as temporary, uh, away from where, where their really allegiance truly is, scattered throughout these Roman Empire parts of modern Turkey, Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, 
who are chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father. There's God the Father. By the sanctifying work of God the Holy Spirit, there's the Holy Spirit. To obey in faith Jesus Christ, there's Father, Son, Holy Spirit, or Father, Holy Spirit, Son. Um, and be sprinkled with his blood. May grace and peace be yours in fullest measure. Okay, what's the first word there? Peter. Now, this is a shocker for some people. Peter's not this guy's name. Peter is this man's nickname. You know what? And somebody really important gave Peter a nickname when he first met him, Scott. And uh, I, I used to like to give people nicknames, but some people don't really like you to call them by nickname. So I've kind of, as you know, as a, as a function of trying to be a more effective pastor, I've kind of stopped trying to give people nicknames. And I found out uh, at Cameron, you really can't give people nicknames because that can become hate speech if you call them shorty or something like that. So you, just, you don't do that but once and you get in trouble. So um, go to John, the Gospel of John, chapter 1. Let's see where Jesus gives Peter a nickname. Now, I know a lot of people, if you've watched you know, the greatest story ever told where Max von Sydow played our Lord Jesus, you know, he kind of walks around real stiff and uh, speaks like uh, somebody doing Hamlet in the original Old English, you know. But I think the Lord uh, generally was uh, full of joy, right? And I think he liked uh, to interact with people, and I think he had a smile on his face when he says this to Peter. And we've got to get some context here. So look at John, the Gospel of John, uh, verse 35. Now again, the next day, we're talking about John the Baptist interacting with Jesus and John the Baptist sending his disciples to follow Jesus, because that was John the Baptist's job. Again, the next day... John the Baptist was standing with two of his disciples. It turns out that would be John and Andrew. Okay, And he looked as Jesus walked by, John the Baptist, and he said, that's the Lamb of God. That's who I've been saying is going to come. He's the Savior. He's going to make, uh, make a way for us to get to heaven. He didn't show the way. He was the way. He is the way, the truth and the life. So John the Baptist and Jesus right there, he says, that's him. You know, sick him, you know. So the two disciples... John and Andrew heard John the Baptist. He had been their teacher to this point, And they physically walked after Jesus. And Jesus turned and saw them following and said, What do you want? With a smile on his face. Song in his heart. He's not putting them down. He's welcoming them. And they said to him, Rabbi, which translated means teacher, Where are you staying? We want to sit down and have lunch with you. We want to get to know you. And he said to them, Come and you will see. So they came and saw where he was staying. And they stayed with him that day for about the tenth hour. One of the two who heard John the Baptist say, that's the Lamb of God, one of those two disciples that followed Jesus physically that day, his name was Andrew. And he's important because he's Simon Peter's brother. Now look what happens, verse 41. After spending several hours with Jesus, Andrew finds his own brother Simon. That's the man's real name. The guy who wrote first Peter isn't Peter, it's Simon. Okay, That's his name. Found Simon said to him, we have found the Messiah. Today we'd say we found the Savior. We found the Christ. And he, Andrew, brought Peter, or Simon, I should say, to Jesus. And Jesus looked at him, Steve, the first time he'd seen him with physical eyes. And Jesus says, you are Simon. Your given name is Simon, which means listener. Okay? Right now, Bailey is doing a wonderful job listening. But Bailey is very articulate. And she will tell you what you need to know. She's really a good talker, very bright. So he's looking, Jesus is looking at this guy who tends to talk first, you know, and ask questions later. He puts his foot in his mouth a lot of time. So Jesus, I think, with a big smile on his face, is saying, hey, they call you listener, don't they? That's awesome. But I'm going to call you 
rocky. I'm going to call you Cephas, which means little rock or rough around the edges. You're kind of rough around the edges. And that wasn't a put down. That's just a statement of spiritual status quo. And that's not the guy that writes First Peter 30 years later. He's not so rough around the edges anymore. He's not so rocky. But it's just interesting when you look at that word Peter, it sounds so, uh, uh, you know, sophisticated, but actually Peter is his nickname and it means uh, rocky, uh, rough around the edges. Now that being true, look at Mark 1 real quick. Look at Mark, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. Look at Mark chapter 1. This is really important, Sherry, and I bet you probably have seen this before, but if you haven't, it's a game changer in the way you think about some things. Mark chapter 1, look at verse 14. Now, now, after John the Baptist had been arrested, had been taken to a cust- into custody, and he doesn't get out. Once he's taken into custody, they hold him at a place called Machairus in Jordan. I've been there. And they beheaded him. Okay. Now, after John had been arrested, taken into custody, and he never gets out of that, and several months later he's executed, Jesus came into Galilee, preaching the gospel, saying the time is fulfilled, kingdom of God is at hand, repent, which means change your mind about your sin, you got it, yourself, you can't fix it, and your Savior, he's the one, only one who can, and believe the gospel. And as Jesus was going along, after John has been imprisoned, John the Baptist, Walking along the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon. Okay? That's the man's real name, listener. But he's got a nickname now. What do they call him? Call him Peter, right? See Simon and Andrew. That's the guy that talked to Jesus and then brought uh, his brother to Jesus. The brother of Simon casting a net in the sea. They were fishermen. That was their job. They weren't uh, sport fishing. They were doing this commercially. And Jesus said to them, to who? To Simon and Andrew, follow me and I'll make you become fishers of men. Now, if you just jump into the Gospel of Mark, it's easy to read that and think, Jesus just taking a walk one day, bumps into a couple of people he's never seen before, they have no idea who he is, and he says, "Drop, stop your job, follow me, and everything's going to be great. And that's not what's happening. Okay? How do I know that the events of Mark 1 happen after the events of John 1. You know how I know that? Look at verse 14. Now, after John had been arrested, okay? It, okay, think about it. In John 1, John the Baptist isn't arrested, okay? He's ministering. He sees Jesus coming back after the baptism and temptation and tells Andrew and John, that's the guy we've been looking for. That's the guy I've been preaching about. That's the guy I baptized, okay? So John the Baptist is not in jail when he's pointing Andrew and uh, John, right, to Jesus, right? So John happens first, Mark happens second, which means after these guys had come to faith in John chapter 1, a month or two later, Jesus calls them to full-time, special, capital D, discipleship. Okay? So I, as a little kid in Sunday school, I was told that was the gospel. The gospel is... Follow somebody you have no idea who he is, where's he going to take you, and just go where you go. And I thought as a six-year-old kid, my mom doesn't want me to do that. She told me, don't talk to strangers. You know? Jesus isn't a stranger to these cats when he calls them to special full-time discipleship. They're already born-again 
believers. Okay, go back to First Peter. Peter, Rocky, his real name is Simon, right? An apostle of Jesus Christ in a special, unique way, writing this to those who reside as aliens. It's important to emphasize every book in the Bible has at least two authors. Okay, we call that dual, D-U-A-L, not D-U-E-L. Like, you know, uh, Hamilton and Burr, you know, had a, had a, dirt, a duel back in the old days in America. Yeah, we've got two authors. We've got a human author and a divine author. The divine author is the Holy Spirit. And it's interesting, in Second Peter 1.21, Peter himself, in his second of two books he writes, under inspiration, Riley, says that the, 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 the scriptures were, were written when people, men, moved by the Holy Spirit, spoke from God. We're going to define the inspiration of Scripture as the fact that God the Holy Spirit superintended the human authors of Scripture such that they composed and recorded, without any error or mistakes, the exact message God wanted as timeless Scripture. Okay, And you have other passages that say the same thing. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God. Word of God is alive and powerful. And then Jesus, and this is so beautiful, if we had more time we'd look at it, but in Matthew 22, verse 41 through 46, Lori, Jesus, in quoting a psalm, Psalm 110, had it been written by David, David and Goliath, that guy, a thousand years before Jesus was talking about it, inciting that psalm and quoting it, Jesus says, how does David, the human author of Psalm 110, in the spirit call the Messiah David's Lord? How does all that work out? And the idea is, Jesus came in the line of David, but Jesus outranked David because before David existed, Jesus always existed. So Jesus is strongly affirming there the inspiration of, of the Old Testament Psalms. That's very important. But let's think about this word apostle. First Peter 1, Peter identifies himself as they always did in early letters. They, the, the, the author of the letter would identify himself first. Brad writing to Riley. Here's what I want you to know if I use that form. Today we typically say, Dear Riley, here's what I want you to know, your friend Brad. We usually identify ourselves at the end of an email, maybe if it's a formal email or end of a letter. But in the first century they had a much better system. The author, David, would identify himself right up front. So there's no guessing by the reader. Peter, I'm the human author here, and I'm an apostle of Jesus Christ. Now, Michael, what he's doing there is called, uh, he's pulling rank. He's pulling rank. Okay, an apostle's like a five-star general. And they were foundational gifts, and they haven't been around since. All of us as Christians are lowercase apostles sent out to live, uh, uh, to love and live and, and revel in the gospel. But uh, he's a, an apostle, capital A. And so let me make this uh, proposition to you. Capital A apostles. And again, most translations don't make it capital A. But I'm, I'm saying as a technical term, to make it distinct, we need to do this. Couple A apostles, and why don't you turn to uh, uh, Ephesians chapter two real quick? Couple A apostles were unique, foundational human leaders of the church. Peter, James, and John, responsible for the New Testament scriptures, directly or indirectly. Lowercase apostles like James Mitchell or Riley Walls or Brad McCoy, uh, or everybody else. Really, lowercase apostles are all the other believers in the church age. We're all lowercase apostles. We we have a mission. We've been sent out for a mission. But we're special, but we're not that special. We're not as special as the apostles are. Okay, look at Ephesians chapter 2. And let's see what uh, 
the Apostle Paul says about the Apostles. Verse 19. So then, this is really interesting. So then, you are no longer strangers and aliens. Uh Uh-oh. It's one of those dreaded Bible contradictions. Oh my goodness. It's kind of like, you know, in uh, Proverbs we're told wisdom is really important. In 1 Corinthians, Paul says, watch out for wisdom. That's a contradiction, isn't it? What does he mean in, in, in Proverbs when he says wisdom is really a good thing to have? He's talking about godly wisdom, okay? When Paul is writing 1 Corinthians, what kind of wisdom he's talking about? Earthly, abstract, philosophical kind of wisdom that goes in all kinds of different directions. Same thing here. In 1 Peter, he says, I'm writing to the, you as an alien because you're here temporarily, Riley, but your home's in heaven and you've got allegiances beyond any allegiance you have on earth because of your Lord Jesus Christ. Here he's talking about the fact that before we came to faith, we were aliens from heaven. <laughs> you know, we were, we weren't, didn't have a home in heaven. We were estranged from God. So you're no longer strangers and aliens spiritually. You're connected with God. You're citizens of heaven. But now you're fellow citizens with the saints. You're members of God's household. And that household is being built upon the foundation of the apostles. Let's make that capital A apostles. And prophets, capital P, prophets. Jesus Christ himself being the cornerstone. Okay, go back to First Peter. So apostles are really, really important. In fact, couldn't think of it. Maybe, uh, let's go back, let's go to Matthew 10 real quick. Let me show you how this happens. These apostles, the problem is some of these, uh, Especially in the in the uh, word faith movement, all these guys want to claim to be apostles, capital A apostles, and they just don't qualify at no level. Look at Matthew ten, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. It says Jesus summoned his twelve disciples and gave them authority, special kind of authority, spiritual power, spiritual spiritual authority. Look at verse two. Now the names of the twelve apostles, and there are only twelve. Uh, are these. The first, Simon, who's called Peter. What is Simon's his real name? Peter's his nickname. And it goes on with the list. So go back to First Peter. Uh, Peter's an apostle. And when he says he's an apostle, he's saying, look, I'm a five-star general. And it's not bragging if it's true. Okay? I mean, Riley's an awesome swimmer, an awesome musician, and a pretty good-looking dude. And if you don't believe it, ask him. He'll tell you all about it. No. Right? Yeah. But it's not bragging if it's true. Uh, I used to look like you, but I didn't drink my milk when I got old, so I was drinking too many Coke Zeros and Diet Pepsis, and this is, has a bad effect on you over a long period of time. Okay, yeah, so he's an apostle. He's pulling rank, but in a nice way, and he's an apostle, once sent out on a mission, not by the United States government or Cameron University or Tanglewood Bible Fellowship or the Southern Baptist Convention. He's been sent out on a mission, a special mission. By Jesus Christ. That of Jesus Christ is generative association. I'm associated not with the Roman government or not with some denomination, but with Jesus Christ, regardless of your denomination. Now, many of you have seen this before, but it's really important that you understand that Christ isn't his last name. Okay? It's not Joseph Christ, Mary Christ, Jesus Christ. Christ is a title. Okay? That's the full title for Jesus. That's his human name. Okay? Uh, and that name, Yeshua, means God's Savior. So that's a pretty good name for the God Savior. The title Lord means he's God, second person of Trinity. There's the title we're thinking about, Jesus Christ. That's not his last name, is it, Nicole? That's a title that means the anointed one, the Messiah, the Savior, 
the one the Bible and the Old Testament said would solve the sin problem. When you look at what the books in the Old Testament are teaching, now look look here. We're living somewhere between the first coming of Christ and the second coming of Christ. We're in 2017, probably right about there. I don't think we're there. I think we're pretty close. When you look at the Old Testament books, the first part of the Bible, it says God's going to send a Christ. God's going to send a Savior, and He's going to have two different functions. He's going to be a lamb, which was a sacrificial animal, and He's going to be a lion. That's the king of the jungle, right? And when you look at the life of Christ, and we're living somewhere between the first and second coming, you look at the prophecies about the Old Testament in the Old Testament that said the Messiah would be a lamb, would be a sacrificial animal to deal with the sin problem. They all get fulfilled literally, okay? So I think it's no mistake for us to live between the first and second coming and just assume the outstanding, yet to be fulfilled prophecies about the future will be fulfilled literally uh, by a second advent and other details. Uh, if you look real closely at this set of prophecies, you can't believe how specific the Old Testament gets when you really analyze it. These are all Old Testament passages that tell you who he's going to be, where he's going to be born, what he's going to do, why he's going to do it, when he's going to come, and they all center on one person. So so Peter and Paul's, but Peter's uh, apostolic commission isn't from some government or some seminary or some church or synagogue or temple. It's directly from Jesus Christ, the, the Savior of the world. Now he's writing this book, he says, look at the middle of verse 1, Two, that is, he's writing this originally 2,000 years ago to people scattered over a particular region. Now, if you look at a map of the Mediterranean, the, the uh, eastern Mediterranean area, I mean, you got, when you look at the boot, you always know that's a certain country, right? That's got to be Romania, right? No, the boot's Italy, right? The football's always going to be Sicily, right? Uh, Homer, you ever been to Greece? Is it a real place? Is Athens really there? It's really there, isn't it? And yeah, we had such a, a blast, man. We flew to Athens and got on a boat and sailed over here to Ephesus and around over there and over there and back in there. It was great. It's all real places. So uh, notice, he's very specific here. And the Bible is talking about real events, real people, real places. And the places you can actually dig up with archaeology. He's writing to aliens, Christians, who are temporarily residing under fire in this world, and they've been forced to leave their homes to go to these other places to get away from regional persecution. And they're in places like Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, Bithynia. Today we'd say Kansas, Nebraska, Minnesota, you know, and Iowa, maybe something like that. So you look at this map, and we know Peter is in Rome when he writes this in about 63 or 64 A.D., the events in the Gospels, the life and death and resurrection of Christ took place in Israel. But we're talking about folks that had been living in and around Antioch of Syria, in this area, who because of regional persecution had been forced to flee, among other places, to Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. Okay, Those are all real places. You can find them on a the map. They've done archaeology uh, all this stuff has really happened. Real people, real places, real event. Very important to know. But you know what? He's talking to people who have dared to believe something. Uh, 
Blanche, would you be so kind to look up First uh, John five one for us? Yeah, whosoever believes that Jesus is the Christ, you just have to believe that's his last name to get saved? No. You're not believing it's his last name. You're daring to trust that he is your Christ. Uh, the term Christ is used as a cuss word. And I don't know if any of you guys cuss to impress your friends, but there's a lot of good reasons not to do that. Come back sometime and I'll tell you. But... uh Maybe the most egregious cuss word, my my uh, opinion, and I don't get any votes on this, is Jesus H Christ or Christ or Jesus. How dare you? you do you hear do you hear anybody use the word Muhammad in vain? Have you ever heard that? You know, one reason nobody would ever do that. You 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 would probably get decapitated in fairly short order. Now, I've never decapitated anybody who's cussed in front of me. It's funny, if I play golf with somebody and they find out I'm a preacher afterwards, you know, and they usually apologize for for cussing, uh, which they don't have to apologize to me. But this term is so precious and it's so meaningful, and we're so familiar with it, we kind of almost take it for granted. But you can't do that. Uh, in your notes, I say, the truth that Jesus of Nazareth, that one person, the God-man, Savior person, is the Christ, is the primary thing that's taught in the New Testament about him. It's the essence of what the apostles preached in the book of Acts. Uh, the entire New Testament revolves around that fact. And when you share the gospel, that's what you're trying to communicate. That Jesus is uh, the issue, an issuer of eternal life because he died for James Mitchell's sins. James is not going to die, die in his sins. He's trusted Jesus Christ as a Savior. Look at this. In Acts 2.36, just 50 days after the resurrection, Peter in Jerusalem, or still dangerous for him to be preaching this, says, God the Father made him to be both Lord and Christ this Jesus whom you crucified. In Acts 3.18, Peter again in Jerusalem, shortly after the events, says, God announced that his Christ would suffer. And this has been fulfilled, right? Old Testament prophecy fulfilled in the death and resurrection. In Acts 5.42, we read all the apostles, capital A apostles, kept on preaching and teaching Jesus as the Christ after they were told not to do that anymore by the powers that be. And they said, we're sorry, we can't stop preaching this. You can throw us in jail and kill us, but we can't stop preaching this. In Acts 8.5, Philip, one of the first deacons, not an apostle, went down to the city of Samaria where no Pharisee would ever go because those were people with spiritual cooties. And he kept preaching began preaching Christ to them. In Acts 9.22, Saul, who comes to faith and becomes Paul, was confounding the Jewish opponents of the faith, proving from the Old Testament that Jesus was the, what? Christ. In Acts 17.3, Paul in Thessalonica, starting the church, says, this Jesus, I'm proclaiming to you Greeks, not Jews this time, but Greeks, he's the Christ, he's the Savior, because he died for your sins, you don't have to die in your sins. In Acts 18.5, Paul in Corinth, another Greek city, began testifying when he first hit town that Jesus was the Christ. Apollos, another preacher, not an apostle, refuted the Jews demonstrating from the scriptures that Jesus was the Christ. And then, isn't it interesting, in that John 1 passage where we saw Jesus give Simon the nickname Peter, which means Rocky, right? Remember that, right? Rough around the edges? Uh, when Andrew 
you know, finds his big brother Simon, he says, hey, we have found the Messiah, which translated means Christ. We found the one the Old Testament's all about. He's going to be the Lamb of God, take away the sins of the world. And then watch this. On the first Easter morning, Jesus kind of shows up and walks along with these two disciples of his, uh, not apostles, capital D disciples, but two guys who had hoped Jesus was the Christ, but now they found out he'd been crucified. They don't know about the resurrection yet. Jesus says to them, was it not necessary, based on the Old Testament, for the Christ to suffer these things? And after that, enter into glory. And then Jesus, beginning with Moses, the first five books of the Old Testament, and all the Old Testament prophets, explained to them the things concerning himself in the Scriptures. Right? What kind of things was he explaining to them? That and that. And boy, I've heard many people say, boy, I'd love to have a, an audio tape of that with translation, have Jesus kind of walk you through the Old Testament. Okay? Now watch this. Peter's writing this under inspiration, so it's the Word of God written to these believers who have been forced to leave their homes and their pensions, not in spite of the fact they're Christians, but specifically because they're Christians. And this term, uh, par epidemoi, means temporary residence on earth with a higher allegiance to another place, our Lord in heaven. Now, James knows who this guy is. After uh, first hour, you can ask him. But Eugene Nida, who's this famous linguist, who writes these uh, translation guides for the New Testament, says this word, this word alien, emphasizes a couple things. Number one, the transitory, the temporary existence of these folks in the world. Uh, there's a thing in the military called TDY, which means temporary duty. And every Christian in this room is TDY, temporary duty on earth, awaiting PCS. That's another acronym. Permanent change of station. I know Wanda Skinner knows about all that good stuff, right? PCS means permanent change of station. All of us are temporary. Now, the now is important, okay? It's not like we just sit on a, on a rock waiting for the uh, rapture to happen. The now is real, and it's important. But it's not ultimate. It's only temporary. And when you're in their shoes, having to leave all their possessions just to get away from the bad guys, you kind of are forced to deal with that. And that's actually a good thing spiritually. We're quite often so comfortable and we get so used to the status quo that what we like, we assume it's going to go on forever. And it doesn't work like that. Okay. So the first thing this word really emphasizes is the temporary transitory existence of the uh, epidemoi in wherever they are. And these folks are in the world waiting for heaven. And, and this is, hey, Doug, this is straight from the translation guide. Watch this. Second thing this word a connotation of this word is the sense of strangeness. I really haven't heard strangeness before, but I guess it's a word. The sense of strainness, strangeness. And trying to be funny, tongue-in-cheek, I said, and Nida wasn't just talking about Doug and Meg Strange here, okay? Uh, the sense of strainness among them as they, the original readers, lived in the midst of pagan neighbors. And I would say, for clarity, uh, I'd say the sense of differentness. Okay? We're different. Okay? And if you trusted Christ as Savior, you're different than everybody else. You shouldn't talk like them. Uh, you shouldn't live like them. Uh, you ought to actually pull them up the hill in the right direction as opposed to against it. Now, uh, the point though here is that the persecution these original re- readers are facing is specifically because of their faith in Christ. 
Now, it may become more and more so in our culture where we're going to be targeted and discriminated, marginalized because of our faith. But, you know, people are still pretty subtle when they do that at a personal level to this extent. We may never have to face that directly. But, you know, when people get on TV and tell you, if you have enough faith, you'll always be healthy, you'll always be wealthy, you'll always be happy, and you'll live to be at least 99, and and Social Security isn't going to peter out until right after you die because you have so much faith, and everything's going to be fine until you're at least 99. Then you can get old and die. Uh, People actually treat this stuff. And they don't preach it anywhere in the third world. They can't go to Africa like where Shana was and preach that because it obviously doesn't work. But in the West, especially the United States, we live in this bubble of prosperity that we don't appreciate and actually corrupts people. They get so self-indulgent they can't be happy with all this stuff, which isn't designed to make you happy anyway. But uh, what, what would you say to a preacher like that? I would say, how about the book of First Peter? You tell me those people didn't have enough faith? That's why they lost their jobs and their pensions? They, they had so much faith and lived so consistent, consistently, the pagan culture where they lived kind of spewed them out of their mouth, as it were. That was the problem. So don't, don't buy this stuff that you're going to hear at a popular level because it reduces Christianity to just kind of a behavior modification, psychological deal, and it's a whole different thing than that. Now let's talk about what saving faith is for these people. These people we know are believers because he says they were chosen according to foreknowledge of God, uh, they've been positionally sanctified by the Holy Spirit, and they've obeyed by, in faith, trusting Jesus Christ. Uh, let's do something like this. Hey, Riley, I'm going to use you as a guinea pig here. Let's let's pretend like my good friend Riley, and we don't like to brag, but we're, we're in a film together, right? We're, we're in a film together that if you come tonight, you're going to see it. And James won't tell you this, but they call me One Take McCoy. It only took one take. For me to do my thing. Okay. Let's pretend like this is a book. Let's say this is an original uh, Gutenberg Bible, 1450 A.D., and it's worth $5 million. Okay? Let's pretend like you were going to give me that gift. Okay? Say, Brad, I want to give you this $5 million Bible. Brad, I'm going to give you this $5 million Bible. No. You have to say that with more emotion. <laughs> Brad, I'm going to give you this $5 million Bible. Thank you. That's nice. Have I received the gift yet? Have I received the gift yet? No. And it's my fault. Say it again. What, what did you say? Brad, I'm going to give you this $5 million Bible. That one right there? Yes. That's nice. Have I received the gift yet? No. You know, scripture says, as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become sons of God, to those who believe in his name. Believing in Christ is active, receptive trust. Let's do it again. I believe that's a $5 million Bible. We're just pretending I believe that. I don't really believe it. <laughs> Have I received the gift yet? Because I believe the facts that that's Riley and that's a $5 million Bible and we're pretending about the $5 million Bible thing. No. Uh, that'd be nice. That'd be, I'd like to have that. Yeah. Now watch. Say it one more time. This will be the last time. Brad, I'm going to give you this $5 million Bible. That was so good. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Look what I've got. i got a $5 million Bible. Uh, we need to have an elders meeting right after the first hour. I quit. <laughs> I'm going to start writing books and going, I'm going to start Hawaii Bible Church. Me and Debbie, if anybody else comes, it'll be great. You know, that's what, that's my goal in life. You know, yeah, you know, saving faith isn't just mental assent that Jesus was called Christ in the Bible. It's active receptive trust. I can believe that chair is a perfectly good chair, but I'm not trusting in it 
to hold me up until now. Okay, you're resting in. It's, it involves the mind and full consent of the will. Uh, it's like, Lord Jesus, I realize I'm a sinner, and it's my fault. It's not just Pastor Brad's fault or my parents' fault or President Obama's fault or President Trump's fault. I'm a sinner. I've broken your rules. I mean, I break my own rules at my worst, much less yours. And I can't fix it. I can't be good enough to make that up or earn my salvation. But I believe you can, because I dare to believe you died to pay for my sin debt on the cross and rose again, and I accept you. I want you to be my Savior. You know, Jesus heals a leper once, and uh, the, the guy walks up to Jesus, and Jesus is trying to get faith out of him, and he says, uh, uh, well, actually, I'm thinking about a different situation. This guy walks up, and it's a perfect illustration. This leper, this horrible disease that caused you to be isolated from the community, this guy walks up to Jesus and says, to Jesus, if you are willing, you can make me clean. And what does Jesus say? You got it, man. Let me give you another one. The thief on the cross, he wasn't a thief. He was a terrorist. The Romans didn't crucify thieves. They only crucified people who killed Romans or Jewish civilians that were helping with the occupation. This guy's dying. He's probably committed all, he's broken all the commandments. Murder, adultery, the whole thing. This guy next to Jesus is terrorist. And he says to Jesus, right before he dies, Jesus, remember me when you come in your kingdom. You know what he's saying? Jesus, I'm a sinner. <laughs> I deserve this. I can't fix it, but I want you to save me. I want you to. Full consent of the will. What's Jesus say? Man, I wish you'd talk to me last week. There's like four things you got to do. Walk an aisle, sign a card, quit smoking. You know, he didn't say that. What does he say to the guy? He says, today you will be with me in paradise. Okay? So, you know, when you understand saving faith, you realize it's all about who Jesus is and what he did for us. It has nothing to do with us. Now, when you receive Christ in faith like that, he does not just give you a get-out-of-hell-free card. He gives you a whole new capacity to respond to him, to live and love and revel in and share the gospel. It's kind of the mission we're sent on. All of us are sent on. Not just James and me as vocational ministers, but all of us, okay? So take this home. Uh, as lowercase a apostles, we've been sent out with a mission. Riley's been sent out with a mission as much as James. And I've been sent out with a mission, the same mission as much as Gay, you know, Gay McCormick. Uh, as apostles, sent out with a mission to live and, and, and love and share and revel in the gospel. Every believer, put your name in the blank, Ron Miller, in TBF, and every believer everywhere. First Baptist Church, Second Baptist Church, Third Baptist Church, United Methodist Church, the United Divided Church, Methodist Church, whatever it is. It doesn't matter what the uh, denomination is. We've been commissioned to consistently live out the gospel. But that's going to be an effect of our salvation. That's going to be a, a, a fruit, not the root of our salvation, right? And so, yeah, you are unique and special, but you're not as unique and special as those guys. Now, unfortunately, today... Some people and some of these preachers want to be seen as apostles. Uh, it's been a while, but I used to, all the preachers in Duncan used to, every couple of years, we'd get a letter from this guy. Uh, this is before, like, email. He claimed to be an apostle, and he lived in Tulsa, and he was always going to rent out the Simmons Center, and all the preachers were supposed to bow down, kiss his ring, I guess, and he was going to tell us what we should do that next year, you know? And I thought, hey, I report to the Lord and the Board of Elders here. I don't report to you. I don't think you're an apostle, but... Uh, you know, then you're sticking the mud if you say stuff like that. But uh, here's the thing. Uh, the apostles were special, and we need to appreciate that, but we should never undercut the importance of each one of us kind of getting our oars in the water and being involved for the kingdom. 
And, you know, Riley's got some great talents. And one thing about Riley, one thing I really like about Riley, uh, and James, of course, does this too, but you know, he, he plays the guitar and he sings the songs too. And that means a lot to me because he's not just entertaining us. He's not just performing. He's actually involved in the process as well. But I would say, just in closing, one of the things that God wants lowercase apostles to do is to be actively involved in sharing their gifts and talents. I don't have the gifts and talents you've got, but I've got some others that I try to use to build up the, the body. Uh, he says, as each one, every single believer, if you're a believer, you've got talents, and God's also given you at least one gift, spiritual gift, so you can serve and build up the body of Christ. As each one has received a special gift, a special spiritual capacity, employ it in serving one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. Whoever speaks, that's kind of my job, is to do it as one who's speaking the utterances of God. You know, I don't want to impress people with smooth sermons. I'd rather you be able to read books of the Bible and understand what they mean because we've gone through them. Whoever serves is to do so as one who's serving by the strength of which God supplies. So you don't brag about all the wonderful things you do. You just do it in God's strength. So that in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. So, you know, uh, if you've not trusted Christ today, you can do that right where you sit. We're not going to play just as I am 17 times to get the psychological juices flowing. Uh, but uh, if you'd like to talk to somebody, James or I would be glad to chat with you about that anytime, including right right now if you want to. But you can just do what the the thief on the the terrorist on the cross did. Just trust him right where you are and tell us that you did. But for those of us who are believers, uh, you know, I like to think of TBF like a long boat with a set of oars for everybody, a seat and a set of oars for everybody. And he wants all of us in the seats pulling on the oars. Uh, but quite often, I think, sometimes people kind of want to stand on the dock and you know, watch or criticize other people's rowing technique. But each one of you is an apostle. You're not a capital A apostle, but you're just as much an apostle as Billy Graham or whoever your favorite, Chuck Swindoll, or whoever your favorite preacher, teacher, Christian celebrity is. And I am too. And I think we ought to revel in that, even as we really, really appreciate that God has inspired and preserved these apostolic texts in the New Testament. So that's a word of prayer. Father, help us to embrace all the implications of this truth and let it be not just information, but transforming truth to your glory. Pray the Holy Spirit who inspired and preserved this text might illumine it to our hearts to draw us to faith or to strengthen us in our faithfulness. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.